than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman rocketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers far beyond those of ordinary mortals? It's Superman, Superman, Superman. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 78 of the Man of Screen Podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode we're going to cover episodes 29 through 32 of season 1 of Filmation's The New Adventures of Superman. And in addition, we're going to cover episodes 15 and 16 of the Filmation Superboy episodes. That will making this the penultimate episode covering season 1. I will conclude my coverage of season 1 next week. And even though there were three seasons of The New Adventures of Superman slash uh, The Adventures of Superboy... The end of season one is really a halfway point as there are 32 episodes of Superman and 16 Superboy episodes over the course of seasons two and three, while season one has 36 Superman episodes and 18 Superboys. So before we get into uh, the coverage for this week's episode, I'm going to get to some feedback as usual. And uh, my first piece of feedback is from Dave McElvenny, if you hadn't guessed by now. And Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 71. That was the first episode in which I talked about the Filmation cartoons. So Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I'm glad to hear you back at the microphone. I hope you managed to squeeze in some fun over the summer between your work, the new baby, and Tassel drawers. I'm gonna put Dave on hold for a minute there, and yeah, I managed to squeeze in some fun over the summer. It's been an interesting summer with, uh, especially getting used to uh, the new baby being around and the adjustments we've had to make in our lives to incorporate uh, Emily. But things are good as of right now. She's, as of this recording, she's almost two months old, closer to three months old by the time this episode actually drops. But as of right now, things are going well, and uh, we are hoping that they continue to go well. So, back to Dave. I have fond memories of the new adventures of Superman from my boyhood. I was 10 years old when it started airing, so I was probably pretty close to the age these cartoons were aimed at, and I especially enjoyed the Superboy segments, particularly with Crypto, because a Superboy and a Superdog. Looking at them with adult eyes, they lose something, probably even more than the George Reeves live-action series, but I'll forgive a lot for the sake of boyhood memories. Yeah, I'm gonna put Dave on pause for a minute, and yeah, probably things do. These cartoons don't hold up to adult eyes. I don't believe that the George Reeves live-action series loses anything when viewed with adult eyes. Maybe some of the episodes do. Maybe some of the episodes I probably didn't like as much when I was a kid, so... I don't know, but everything from the George Reeves series that I liked as a kid, I still like now as an adult, so... I don't think that show necessarily lost anything as I became an adult, and I don't have as many memories of this, if I have any. So, I'm not necessarily sure... If I'm losing anything with regards to the new adventures of Superman. So anyway, back to Dave's letter. I remember even at 10 years old thinking it was amusing that the Merman of Emor was set in an underwater vestige of the Roman Empire. And so Emor was just Rome spelled backwards. I enjoyed the clip you played of Clark and Jimmy discussing the possibility of a sea monster. And Clark says it's probably a dangerous undercurrent. So Jimmy just casually decides to go swimming. That's our Jimmy leaping before he looks. I'm going to pause Dave a minute. And uh, there was a previous episode in which I... Uh, 
didn't necessarily make the connection that the Rothel Hair Company or whatever it was was Luthor spelled backwards. I must confess that I didn't notice that Emor was wrong spelled backwards, which goes to show that even though I am a writer and editor by trade, I suck at word games. Back to Dave's letter. I do think it's odd that the writers clearly use a lot of unnecessary dialogue in the style of the old radio show. Up, up, and away, down, there they are. Apparently forgetting that viewers could see, although maybe they were using an early version of descriptive viewing service for the visually impaired. Even with the overly talkiness, I still really like Bud Collier and Joan Alexander as the voices of Clark Superman and, and Lois. And especially back in those days, cartoons were a better vehicle for Superman stories than live action could have been given the state of the art of special effects for TVs and movies. I am looking forward to your coverage of this series. Thank you. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. I really don't have anything to add about Dave's comment about the unnecessary dialogue. I believe I've said more than enough about that as we, as it is. And, you know, like Dave, I do like the work the cast is doing. They're top-notch, even though most of them are 20 years removed from previously playing Superman. But all the voice acting is top-notch, in my opinion. So... We're going to go right from that, and I'd like to thank Dave for his letter. We're going to, my next letter is from Jack Bone. His subject is listening to your show, and Jack writes, I found your show on Two True Freaks that have been doing a random watch and listen on episodes of The Adventures of Superman. Forgive me if I missed it and someone else has told you that the rocket ship that brought Superman to Earth was the Rocket Ship XM from the 1950 movie, Rocket Ship XM. The first shot is of that distinctive rocket, later shots are from newsreels of U.S. tests of captured German V2s. But I think all this footage from the movie, which was a low-budget affair, and used newsreel to pad out their special effects. Gonna put Jack on hold for a minute, and no, Jack, uh, I did not know that. So, thank you for bringing that my bringing that to my attention. Huh. I always like a little trivia like that. So, back to Jack's letter. Not to get into individual episodes, but overall, I didn't know about the connections between the show and comic books of the time. It hadn't occurred to me that this was the Atomic Age of Superman. Thanks for the thought. I would like to direct you, Jack, to... Uh, Give your thanks to Bob Fisher, who introduced the uh, Atomic Age of Comics to me as well. So we'd both like to thank Bob Fisher for uh, introducing that concept into my brain. So back to Jack. I listened to a Hollywoodland episode shortly after the sad news about Adam West. There was a lot else going on in George Reeves' life and death, but I feel better when actors can come to embrace, or at least come to terms with, the role they became identified with. I think it takes time for them to realize people can look at these shows critically while still appreciating them. All right, I'm going to pause Jack again, and yeah, I agree with your sentiment here, and I definitely, I think we definitely saw Adam West come to terms with, uh, and later eventually embrace his fame as Batman, and I really believe, even though he didn't feel it at the time, Jack Larson really came to embrace being known for Jimmy Olsen, and I'm not sure if Noelle Neal needed to come to terms with it, I don't know much about her feelings toward the role, but just the fact that she was willing to come back to it so soon... You know, she did the two at Kirk Allen series, then came back to the Adventures of Superman, said she didn't uh, harbor any ill will toward the role and was probably just happy to have work. So I think Noel Neal always appreciated uh, the role that she became identified with. It took uh, Jack Larson perhaps a little bit longer. Maybe Noel Neal helped him in that regard. There's no way to know. I personally believe or would like to believe that had he lived, George Reeves would have come to terms with and maybe even embraced the fact that he was loved by so many for portraying the role of Superman. There's no way to know, but that's just what I like to hope. Back to Jack. Thanks for the episode on Superpup. You put it under my second internet rule. If something is online and someone advises against seeing it, I don't look at it. The first internet rule is if something is, is online and someone seems too eager to get me to look at it, I don't look at it. The only thing I want to say to that, Jack, is 
don't let other people dictate what you do and don't look at. You know, if you want to look at something, don't let me or anyone else dissuade you. I mean, if you didn't want to look at Super Pump anyway, I definitely wouldn't blame you for not looking at it. But, you know, don't let the disdain for something or enthusiasm for something from others dissuade you from looking at something. If you want to look at it, look at it. If you don't, don't. You know, but make sure it's what you want to do and not too heavily influenced by someone else. That's just me. I like to feel in control of what I look at or what I don't look at. Just a little bit of advice from me. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm just kind of giving my two cents. So anyway, back to the letter. I don't have the next animated series you'll be covering, but we'll be listening carefully to try and place an old memory. Clark winks to the audience makes a comment about a green-eyed flamethrower that could refer to the monster beat, Superman beat, or to Lois. This prompts Lois to throw a cigarette lighter at his head. Ooh boy, there's things wrong with that happening in an office today, much less being shown in a cartoon. Yeah, I don't believe I've gotten to anything with a green-eyed fl- flame, a comment about a green-eyed flamethrower or Lois throwing a cigarette lighter at Clark. I I did pass an episode where Lois threw a book at him and the animation was kind of crappy to go with it, but maybe I'll come to that later on down the road. We'll see. And like I said, that email was from Jack Baum. So I'd like to thank Jack and Dave for their feedback. You can jump in on the feedback too if you like. Send an email to manofscreen at gmail.com. So with that behind us, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. Then I'm going to come back with Mission to Planet Peril, Superboy segment, Hurricane Fighters, and the Superman episode, The Pernicious Parasite. Hang around, folks. Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha Podcast. A new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue, in release order tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Doctor Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort And many, many more. Justice League International Blahaha Podcast Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network Want to make something of it? Alright, welcome back folks. I just want to start off by saying that the three episodes in this segment all have an original broadcast date of December 24th, 1966. Christmas Eve. Can you imagine today if an original episode of anything was shown on Christmas Eve or any other kind of holiday? So we're going to start off with Mission to Planet Peril. And that was written by George Cashton. All of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Aliens land at a coal mining facility and begin to steal the coal. When stopped by Superman... Now, boys, let's have a little talk. Old Earthman... We have no wish to harm you or anyone else. Then what are you doing here? Why are you taking this coal? We were forced to raid your planet. Forced? You must believe me. Aruk, a criminal scientist of our world, holds our friends hostages. Oh? If we don't carry out his orders, he will kill the hostages. But why are you sent to steal coal? Coal is a form of carbon... An element very scarce on our planet. Aruk invented a process for converting carbon into the hardest substance in the universe. 
You mean like diamonds? Yes, only many times harder. With enough of this substance, a rook can build an indestructible fleet. In that case, you need help. Badly. Suppose I came to your world. We would gladly take you there. I've got a better idea. I'll take you there. Get inside and secure the hatch. All aboard. Superman escorts them back to their planet and defeats the evil dictator. All right, so we've got some aliens. They're going to steal some coal because they're being forced to. <sighs> this one's not that bad, but not that great either. So we start off with a, you know, a flying saucer at a coal mining plant because, you know, I guess that makes this a typical Tuesday in, uh, in this version of the DC Universe. So here comes this flying saucer, and the next logical step is for the police to attack. And these aliens really aren't paying the police any, uh, any never mind. Uh, they're just chilling and taking the coal. The narrator says the miners are looking on in amazement. It looks more to me like they're angry. Whether they're angry about the, what's happening or the fact that they can't do anything about it, I don't know. But they're sitting there with looks of great consternation on their face. So Superman hears about it, and off he goes in the same flying shot that we see in every episode. And when Superman shows up, he basically just starts taking everything apart, ripping up the uh, alien's conveyor belt. The aliens have the uh, spaceship parked next to the to the building here, and obviously there's nothing else anywhere near this building, enough room for a UFO to land, and they set up a conveyor to a window, and the coal just going right from the building and on, onto their ship. Not really asking, just uh, just taking. So, you know, after Superman rips everything apart like, it's, uh, like they're toys, the aliens come running out of the ship, claiming they mean no harm. You know, apparently, aliens who mean no harm routinely come and steal stuff from you. So, apparently they need the coal to save their friends from an overlord. So, Superman listens to their story and decides he's going to help them overthrow the overlord so that they don't need to keep coming to Earth to raid their coal. And apparently, the spaceship seems to have run out of uh, fuel here. A Superman carries it to its own planet. Either ran out of fuel or Superman did too much damage to the engines so that he's escorting them home. And the Overlord is alerted to the arrival, and, you know, all these aliens kind of look the same, all cut from the same cloth a little bit, bald, green skin, with pointed ears. Not much original originality in the artwork here. And they get to this planet, the Overlord's weapons are no match for Superman, as the rocket ships just kind of destroy themselves as, as they bounce off Superman. And Superman is quite a bit taller than these meek aliens, and he was told he can't penetrate the Overlord's dome, so, of course... He'll do what Superman does and penetrate the Overlord's dome. And this will give Superman an opportunity to posture in front of uh, the Overlord. And that lets our villain monologue for a moment before we see the hostages whose lives are being threatened. Wait, Earthman. Observe. My men hold deadly weapons on our hostages. Retreat, or I order them to fire. All right. I guess I know when I'm licked. That is wise. You are strong, Earthman. But not strong enough to defeat. Guess again, Aruk. Hurry! Shoot them down! Destroy them! About four green aliens with no shoes and flimsy white robes, so these must be the commoners. So apparently, all this trouble is being caused because this guy has taken four hostages. I guess that was all they had time to draw. You know, I'm, I'm looking at this villain, the Superman's talking to him. Have you ever noticed that all the villain, villains always have great looking goatees? Especially the aliens. Makes me think. Back to, uh, you know, some classic Doctor Who, the master had some uh, nice-looking facial hair. So, remember how originally they, the aliens told Superman that the, the Overlord's fortress was impenetrable? Well, that information came in pretty handy as Superman faked being beaten and covered the hostages with the impenetrable material. So, nicely played by the Man of Steel. It's always nice to see Superman using his brain and not 
punching his way through everything. Superman ties up the bad guys and flies off. And we get an ending and... Superman saves Alien Planet. Fantastic. How did you ever get this story, Kent? You'll never know, Chief. All I can tell you is that I had to travel far to get it. Clark actually puts the story about Superman's rescue on the other planet in the Daily Planet. I guess late 60s folks want to read about this. I'm not sure I would want that from the local newspaper. I would rather read about the news that affects me and not necessarily what Superman did half a world away, but that's just me. Perry is uh, happy to uh, put that in the paper as apparently Superman sells. Eventually we'll learn Superman Returns that three things sell newspapers, tragedy, sex, and Superman. That's pretty much that for that episode. Nothing really to it, just Superman versus the alien action. Nothing really to complain about, just another uh, simple story. Now let's go back in time to when the when Superman was a boy in Hurricane Fighters by Oscar Bensall. On a school trip to Metropolis Marine World, Clark Kent is alerted by a far-off call from Crypto about an oncoming ferocious storm. While everyone else runs for shelter, Clark changes into Superboy and, with Crypto, averts many disasters caused by the hurricane and eventually moves the storm out into the sea. My first thought when this episode came up in the rotation was, I almost feel strange talking about an animated hurricane in the wake of some of the things that have gone on recently in the United States and the Caribbean in recent weeks. By the time uh, this episode drops, it'll be even further in the past, another month or so beyond, but in the past two, three weeks, we've had Hurricane Harvey drench and flood most of Houston and other uh, areas of Texas that are along the Gulf of Mexico. We've had Hurricane Irma come through the Caribbean, devastate some of the local islands, and do massive damage to most of Florida. There were several members of the two true two true freaks family who were affected without power for several days. So I hope at this point everything is returned to some level of normal for them. And as I sit here right now on September 19th, they're talking about Hurricane Maria, which is blowing through Puerto Rico and could be headed toward the United States again tomorrow. I hope that's not the case. I hope anyone in the path of these storms uh, manages to you know, find safety in some way, shape, or form. But just weird talking about Superboy fighting hurricanes when real people are, you know, suffering and dying due to hurricanes in the real world. So, with that being said, I'm going to go right into uh, this episode and start off with the Metropolis Aquarium or Marine World and Crypto Spots of Incoming Storm Clouds. Now, for those of you who are wondering why they are, why Smallville High School is taking a trip to Metropolis as a field trip, it wasn't, and we'll talk about this more when I get to Superman the movie, but Smallville was not in Kansas until Richard Donner put it there in 1978. Before that, and really, I, I don't think it was until John Burns' Man the Steel miniseries that established Smallville as being in Kansas. In the pre-crisis era in the comics, Smallville was outside of Metropolis. Not necessarily close, but close enough that they could take a field trip for the day, I guess, so... That's that. Now, it's interesting in the animation is showing Clark talking out loud about Crypto as Lana stands right next to him. I wonder if Clark is actually talking here, or if this is supposed to be mental monologue as he is standing right next to Lana. The uh, animation could have been a little more clearer about this. If they wanted it to just be, you know, Superboy's internal thoughts, they could have just not animated his mouth moving. So we get a sudden news flash about Hurricane Harriet, I believe it is, is Madison Metropolis, and I guess weather forecasting wasn't what it is today, as apparently... 
This is taking everyone by surprise, and they're doing exactly what you shouldn't do in a crisis. Everybody's just kind of running around and uh, stampeding each other, trying to get out of the way of this hurricane, and accomplishing absolutely nothing. So, Lana is clearly worried about Clark, who has mysteriously gone missing. She assumes he's caught in the storm, but actually he kind of went off and turned into Superboy. So S- Superboy and Crypto are saving everyone caught in the hurricane. How many of us didn't wish there was somebody who could do such a thing in the real hurricanes? So Superboy and Crypto just kind of saved everything they could find that was caught in the hurricane. There was a plane that was out of control that Superboy and Crypto saved and got through the hurricane. I'm not sure. Sh- there are these other guys who are shooting rockets in a hurricane and they're being uh, deflected away by the winds and Superboy and Crypto save a uh, ship by pulling on a rope. You know, the guy shooting the rockets in the hurricane kind of reminds you of that in Florida where a, a sheriff had to tell people not to shoot at a hurricane because the wind could redirect the bullets. You know, Superboy and Crypto are just doing everything they can to help. They've rescued the people. They're helping create an artificial seawall with some sandbags to prevent the excess flooding. Meanwhile, back at Marine World, Lana is still fretting over Clark. And then we get only some... Then we get a neat trick here by Superboy and Crypto, who kind of twirled to save the aquarium, turning back uh, a tidal wave with uh, the wind funnels that they're creating. And then they send Hurricane Hilda, oh, it's Hilda, not Harriet, Hurricane Hilda out to sea uh, by twirling and moving the storm. Yeah, too bad there wasn't someone to do that in real life. And one of the things I'm not always sure about is whether Superman or Superboy, for that matter, should really be altering the weather. Yes, saving people from the weather is one thing, but actually... Che- changing the weather itself that just seems like the kind of thing that could cause more harm than good and i do believe that was addressed in late 90s superman comic i believe where superman was trying to control everything and tried to control the weather i remember pa can't take him to task over that i don't necessarily remember how that story turned out but i do remember that uh that portion after the hurricane has stopped lana is still fretting over clark and i'm not sure who the other kid is who's talking to her but he isn't he a ray of sunshine offer it, maybe Clark was washed away. But nope, he decided to hide in the dolphin tank, and Lana thinks it's his way of making them think he's Superboy. You see, I figured the only safe place to ride out the storm was in the tank. That was smart thinking, Clark. Or maybe a smart aleck way to make us think you're really Superboy. Me? Superboy? Why, Lana, how could you even think that? And of course, he uh, deflects that with a wink. And that was a, a really good one. I'm not sure if my opinion of this was colored by the fact that we had ma- that we recently had massive hurricanes in real life. But I enjoy whenever Superman, or Superboy for that matter, is put up against nature. It's one of the things that can really give him a rough time that doesn't feel contrived or isn't a supervillain. Alright, so we're going to head right into the Superman episode, The Pernicious Parasite. And this was written by Oscar Bensal. A thief comes in contact with a radioactive element that somehow gives him the power to drain energy from anyone he touches. Security men try to apprehend him, but he simply drains them of their energy when they grab him. When Superman comes onto the scene, the same thing happens to him, and he falls weakly to the ground. Realizing he can't beat him, 
Superman simply grabs onto the parasite and allows him to drain all of his powers. The parasite explodes. For as Superman explains, a normal human cannot possess all of Superman's strength. Alright, so this episode is going to introduce the parasite in an unusual form. He is going to retain his human form and not turn into the purple monster that we are accustomed to seeing in the comics. There's no real reason why, in my opinion, they couldn't make the parasite a purple monster. Maybe they, I don't know, maybe they decided it was too scary for their kids or something. I don't know. So anyway, we're going to start in Washington, D.C., and here is uh, some guy messing with some chemicals that explode in his face, which normally would happen when you mess around with chemicals. Empty. Bah! Galaxy 4. Never heard of that one. This one isn't empty. Suddenly, Icy Harris is transformed into a parasite of power. A man capable of drawing physical power from other human beings. Guard! Guard! Let me go. Let me go. I'll be... He's fainted. I have, like, absorbed some of his strength. It happened again. Now I have the strength like four men. Nothing can stop me from becoming a superman of crime. Boy, I feel as strong as a hundred men. And apparently this mustached man, his name is Harris, is the parasite. And his powers work exactly like the parasite in the comics, drawing his strength from others and memories, I believe. I don't know if the memories is the more recent thing, but the way I understand the parasite now is not only does he drain your power, or your energy for that matter, he also gets some memories. So uh, Harris is going to rob banks like most Silver Age villains, and he notices that, and Harris is noticing that as he's draining energy from people, he has deduced that Clark was Superman when they encounter each other. And apparently... Harris's power has a cumulative effect. Not only does he have the power of the men he drained, but it, adding on to that is the power he's draining from Superman. So Superman recovers and feels better and flies away. And Harris is going to draw Superman back by throwing a rocket. He announces that he's going to destroy the Washington Monument, yet he tells uh, onlookers to stand back. I guess he's trying to limit the collateral damage in some form. Now here are some interesting physics. As Superman just kind of pulls the Washington Monument like a lever, and the... Uh, the rocket sails harmlessly past. I guess there's uh, some kind of fulcrum down the ground that allows Superman to do this. But, as usual, he puts it back as though nothing happened. But Harris is still going after Superman. He will not be denied, and now he chucks a plane. And so Superman will try to fight Harris face-to-face, but that's not a very smart, as all he gets is his power drained. And the animation shows Superman slowing down. His face looks as though it's getting very heavy, and he's talking very slowly and grumbling. And the cartoon animates Parasite's power by showing waves going from his victims to him. You know, it's almost like the same, well, the solid lines going in one direction to the other. It's, a, it's almost like what some other cartoons would do to illustrate telepathy. So, Superman is going to save the day with a sleeper hold. And in his insatiable demand for power, Harris will drain too much and overload. And then, in this amusing running sequence, basically what it comes down to is uh, the animated Harris is running in place as buildings just kind of move and go by, giving the illusion that he is running, and Harris explodes. So here we go. In this Silver Age story, Superman caused the death of the Parasite. No, Superman didn't directly kill him, but he did cause his death. I'm not going to say he was wrong to do so. He did what he had to do in order to survive and save others, as Superman would. And he clearly didn't see any other way, so I don't think this Superman is going to 
lose a lick of sleep over what happened here today. And then we get an ending that says Superman did exactly what he intended to do. Superman! What what in the world made him explode? Greed. His greed for power. He didn't realize that an Earthman's body was too frail to contain the superpower of a man from Krypton. Superman knew that Harris's body couldn't take the Kryptonian energy, so Superman suspected it would explode and allowed it to do so. Not necessarily the kind of thing you would expect from Superman, but he got the job done here. So that was a good episode, an interesting take on the parasite. I'm not sure why in a cartoon he's not drawn to model, but maybe, like I mentioned before, the purple monster is too scary for kids. But everything that makes the character the character was there. With that being said, I'm going to take another break, I'm going to play another promo, then I'm going to come back with The Two Faces of Superman, Superboy Super Dilemma, and The Imp Practical Joker. Hang around, folks. Stop and listen! Stop and listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! They're not human! Everyone! They're here already! You're next! November 4th, 1988. Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kuns, the Tanagarians, and the Durlins. And they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. All right, welcome back, folks. These next three episodes were all broadcast on December 31st, 1966, New Year's Eve, to follow up the previous segment, which were all aired on Christmas Eve. And we're going to start with The Two Faces of Superman. It was written by George Cashton. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. The people of Metropolis are stunned when they witness Superman committing a number of crimes. And when Superman confronts Jimmy, he explains to Superman what he just saw. What's going on here, Jimmy? What's happened? I don't know, Superman. But I'm sure there must be a good reason why you committed those crimes. Me? You must be kidding. I saw you steal an armored truck just a few minutes ago. Well, that's impossible, Jimmy. Show me where I'm supposed to have committed these crimes. Sure, Superman. Come on. Together, they fly off and Superman discovers that the Toy Man has built a Superman robot, which has been committing these crimes. With Jimmy's help, Superman defeats the Super Robot and captures Toy Man and his men. Alright, so this is uh, the New Adventures of Superman's uh, episode about Superman having a double. You know, it's a common trope that we've seen before. We saw this for the first time on screen in the uh, Famous Studios short Showdown. And then we saw this again in Season 2 of The Adventures of Superman when... George Reeves pulled off the dual role as a gangster robber and Superman in the episode The Face and the Voice, which actually both of those, Showdown and The Face and the Voice, were one of my favorite episodes of their respective series. And this one is just as good, maybe even a little bit better in the sense that in those other two episodes, Showdown and The Face and the Voice, it was only a guy in a suit pretending to be Superman, the criminals couldn't actually do what Superman was able to do. In this case, like I mentioned in the synopsis, that the fake Superman was a robot built by the Toy Man. The Toy Man made the robot so that it could duplicate Superman's powers, so 
it's easier to fool people that this is actually Superman committing the crime. One of the things that, for those of you who remember the face and the voice, one of the things that bothered Clark in that episode was, especially with regards to the store owner, was that he didn't see Superman fly. He just saw them walk away with the money. In this case, people are seeing Superman fly. They're seeing him steal, and they're seeing him fly. So, taking that face value, there's no reason for anybody to believe that isn't Superman. So, let's get into this one. It starts off with the world's largest diamond on display at the museum, and that attracts Superman, who shows up and takes it. <laughs> Superman kind of looks kind of funny, flying away with two hands on the giant diamond. And here comes Superman again. He's going to steal some gold. And, you know, Superman's getting around. First the diamond, and then the gold. And now he's going to knock over an armored truck. And Jimmy Olsen, meanwhile, is just dumbstruck by this. As well, he should be. You know, whoever this is, he's doing a good job discrediting the real Superman. And then Superman shows up, and he's quite concerned, as he knows nothing about what Jimmy's telling him. He's saying that he hasn't committed any of these crimes. And we're going to find out that it's the Toy Man with a Superman robot. You know, the Toy Man is still off-model. I still think he looks like John Noble. But it's consistent with his uh, previous two appearances. And the robot, like I said, has all of Superman's powers, which Toy Man demonstrates for his uh, disbelieving friends. And he successfully made a robot as strong as Superman. Now, the only question that remains is if this robot can take on Superman in a straight fight. But apparently the robot left the trail for Superman to follow since it's leaking oil. Here comes Superman now. Duck out quickly! There's the answer. A robot replica of myself. Cheapers! Oh. Oh. <laughs> the toy man! Correct, little man. And this is another of my ingenious toys. A weapon that emits beams of kryptonite. Uh, uh. The one substance that renders Superman weak as a kitten. I guess I uh, know uh, Superman robot is perfect. But Superman finds the robot, which, and is lured into a kryptonite trap from the Toy Man, and that takes Superman down immediately. And the Toy Man, as all good villains do, will give us a great deal of exposition, and he tells us he will send his robot on a rampage. So you know what happens next? His robot goes on a rampage. Now Superman is down for the count, but not out, as he tells Jimmy to get a lead apron that the Toy Man conveniently left laying around. You know, if you're trying to kill Superman with a kryptonite invention, your best bet is not to leave a lead apron laying around where somebody can find it and cover up your lead ray gun. Because that'll wake Superman up. And you don't want that. You know, like I said before, it's kind of funny how these villains tend to beat themselves. So, Jimmy covers Kryptonite Ray and Superman gets up immediately. And there's a really nice animated shot of Superman banging the criminal's heads together in a fine George Reeves fashion. But following that, all the action is kind of lost behind an orange screen and some hand-drawn explosions. So after that's cleaned up, Superman chases the robot which is returning with two bags of loot from somewhere. And we get a nice-looking Superman-on-Superman battle, which lasts for a few seconds, as Superman easily dispatches it with a few punches, and a, when it hits the street, a few exposed wires leave it clear that Superman is innocent and that the crime could be committed by a robot. So here's our ending of Jimmy and Clark in his office. Resuming his secret identity of Daily Planet reporter Clark Kent, the Man of Steel reads the story, Superman Foils the Toy Man by Jimmy Olsen. Great story, Jimmy. Gee, thanks, Mr. Kent. Got this scoop all by yourself, eh? Well, uh, uh, I, I guess I had a little help. I, I mean, even you once in a while need an assist from Superman, right? You're right, Jimmy. I like that. It's nice to see Jimmy helping out Superman as only Jimmy can. 
And it's nice to see Jimmy getting rewarded with a byline. So many times at the, at the Daily Planet, Jimmy is kind of the butt of jokes, but it's nice to see him get a byline once in a while. Now let's go back to Superboy's Super Dilemma. This is written by Oscar Bensal. Superboy and Crypto drop in on Professor Potter, who is experimenting on a plant growth formula. Hello, Superboy. I was just testing a growth accelerating chemical with positively smashing results. <laughs> smashing is the word for it, all right, Professor. But, but I have an even more amazing development to show you. I discovered an antidote for kryptonite. The one substance to which you are vulnerable. Really? When can I try it? As soon as I mix the formula. Uh, uh, let me see. Ah, yes. Here you go. Drink this, and you'll never fear kryptonite again. Bottoms up. And now to test you by exposure to kryptonite. Relax, crypto. Kryptonite can't harm him anymore. Watch. Typical symptoms of kryptonite poisoning, Professor. Dizziness. Pain. Oh, oh dear. We'd better end the test before there's permanent damage. True. That stuff did absolutely nothing for me, Professor. I just can't understand it, Superboy. But I'm not giving up. Swell. Let's go, Crypto. He accidentally mixes mixes it with plant growth formula, and soon enough, Superboy grows to a gigantic proportions. His size becomes a danger to those he tries to save, but thankfully the Professor comes up with an antidote that brings Superboy back to normal size. Ah, the Professor Potter story. I was wondering how long it would take us uh, before we got to him. You know, I definitely look at Professor Potter the way, the same way I would look at Professor Pepperwinkle in uh, the Adventures of Superman George Reeves series. Just an eccentric scientist who means well, has a big heart, but causes a lot of trouble without meaning to. Just like our good old Professor J.J. Pepperwinkle. So, uh, Professor Potter is experimenting with uh, something here, and look, he's got giant flowers growing out of his barn. And this is why, boys and girls, you should not experiment with strange growth accelerants. Now Professor Potter is claiming that he has an antidote for kryptonite, and it's good that he's bald already. If those of you who remember from the comics, this is how things went bad for Lex Luthor. He was trying to help uh, create an antidote for kryptonite, and the chemicals fell in his hair, and he, and he went bald. Professor Potter needs to be careful. Crypto was worried about something, which is illustrated uh, by uh, the fact that he's barking at Superboy. It's either he's bar- bothered by something in the potion, or the kryptonite that Professor Potter has taken out is bothering him. It's kind of unclear which one. However, despite taking the serum, Superboy still fought the kryptonite. Clearly, this potion did not work. So, Superboy leaves, Clark goes home, and, and here's a shot of Clark looking absolutely huge sitting in the living room with uh, with his father, and uh, Professor Potter certainly did something, and now we've got an episode of Honey, I Blew Up the Superboy. So, apparently Superboy has grown to uh, about 30,000 feet tall, if planes cruise at that altitude in the 1960s, I don't know. But Superboy is playing with this airplane like it's a toy. I'm not necessarily sure what Crypto is making of all this, but I think he's frightened. And, you know, everywhere Superboy goes, it looks as though he's playing with people and cars and toys as if they're toys. Imagine if, you know, growing up, my dad would put the Lionel trains, you know, around the Christmas tree. And they were 027 scale, I believe. And, you know, as an adult at this point, you know, I'd stand next to it. Probably the engine is probably up to my ankle. So that's pretty much what I'm thinking Superboy is like to to this. Everything is tiny to him. So, and 
Superboy created a tidal wave. It looks like the same shot we saw in the previous Hurricane episode. And this is quite funny as uh, Superboy kind of stopped the tidal wave by <laughs> laying down on a beach like a giant beached whale and basically created his own uh, seawall. Now, apparently, the uh, absent-minded professor has mixed the anti-kryptonite potion with the growth accelerant, resulting in our giant Superboy. And he's going to give what he claims is the end to Superboy, and we're just going to hope that the prof- good professor didn't screw this up. Superboy! I made a slight error yesterday! Mixed the kryptonite antidote with my plant growth formula! That's what made you grow like this! But don't worry! I have already invented a cure for your super growth! Get it to me in a hurry! Please! Crypto, you're no Saint Bernard, but you sure are a lifesaver. This formula has a delayed reaction. Stick around, you'll be normal soon. The next thing you need is su- the last thing they need is Superboy growing tall enough to uh, reach space. So Crypto takes the bucket to Superboy, he drinks, and nothing happens. At least not immediately. So of course, uh, Superboy just can't hang around to wait for the potion to uh, do its trick, as is a uh, Electrical wire is down, and Superboy needs to put it back together. You know, we finally get to something that it, Superboy's newfound size will be helpful with. But just as he gets to the wire, Superboy shrinks back down to normal size. But with the help of his faithful dog, Superboy flies up there, and he and Crypto put the wires back together. And then Superboy, in a nice shot, welds it back together with his heat, which I like that quite a bit. So, the utility workers make a joke about Superboy's size, and this episode goes to black. Thanks, Crypto. I was stumped back there when I shrank to normal size, but you straightened me out by reminding me of something. Yeah, tight in a midget, you're still super. Right, Superboy? <laughs> that was fun. These short-form stories don't really allow for a lot of hijinks, but they are a lot of fun, and it's a good thing Professor Potter was able to come through in the end. This format is really made for not only this episode of Good Professor Potter Story, but also for the next episode that I'm going to talk about, let's get to it. We go back to the Superman episode, The Imp Practical Joker. And this is written by Oscar Bensall. A strange, fifth-dimensional imp, calling himself Mr. Mixia Spitalik, magically creates chaos at an amusement park. Superman flies to the scene and rescues those in danger, and spots the little man creating all the havoc. Now look here. You've spoiled my fun. Some fun endangering the lives of people. I never meant to hurt anyone. Famous last words. Just who are you, little man? My name is Mixie's Pitlick. Mix what? Mixes Pitlick. Mr. Mrs. Pitlick, to you. I come from the fifth dimension. I love to come here and play funny tricks on people. Look, do us a favor and go back to your own dimension. The only way I can return to my own dimension is to say my name backwards. And I don't intend to say it until I'm through having fun here. Mixes Pitlick backwards? That's, uh, uh, Kilpozixum. It doesn't work if you say it. I have to say it. But I won't, because if I do, I can't come back for 90 days. I'll take you back myself. After a number of attempts, Superman finally tricks Mixias Pitlick to say his name backwards, thereby sending him back to the fifth dimension. So, we're starting our adventure at a carnival. Another one. You know, it seems like we've seen these things quite a bit. We've seen the carnival, the fair, the amusement park. You know, I'm sensing a theme here. I'm guessing uh, Mr. Bensall, who seems to be writing most of these episodes, 
must have had a bad experience at the amusement park or something because he sure picks on these things a lot. So, where weird things are happening here, go figure, what a shock. So Jimmy is calling in the story, and then Superman immediately shows up, and oh, there go the cars on one of the rides. You know, they look like little rocket ships. Uh, Superman catches them with the greatest of ease, and we get our first look at our villain. A little man in a very small derby hat, orange hair on his side, and not the, the gray that we're used to. I'd have to do some research that I don't feel like doing right at the moment to see if that's what he looked like in the comics in the 1960s. Maybe Dave McElvenny will let me know. But yes, it is... Mr. Mixius Piddleck. I'm going to note a quick coloring error, error before I go on. Uh, Superman has a red and yellow S on his cape, and not the uh, traditional yellow. And also, the animation looks a little bit different in this episode, so maybe they had some guest animators or something. I mean, Filmation is putting out a lot of these episodes. One artist cannot possibly do it all. So things are continuing to go wrong at the amusement park. There goes the roller coaster off the track, and there goes the horses off the carousel, or swans, rather. And uh, you haven't lived until you've seen the swans on the carousel come to life and fly away. So Superman is taking care of uh, all these things uh, rather easily, as we see as Mixius Pitalik watches. And then he's spotted by Superman. And I really like that the name is pronounced correctly in this episode. Mixies Pitalik. It's not Mixelplik, as the Super Friends cartoon will try to tell us. Mixies Pitalik. So Superman just asks Mixie to go home, but he gives Mixie gives the rules. Superman will have to get him to say his name backwards. Superman tries to cheat and see if... Uh, him saying the name backwards will work, but it doesn't. If Superman really thought about that course of action, he'd have realized it was way too easy to do just that. And it's always amusing to watch Super- Mixie vex Superman in a bunch of other ways. I don't ever want to see Mixie as Pitalik in a film, but outside of the comics, TV is really the best place for him. I mean, you only get a movie once every few years. No need to waste one on Mixie as Pitalik. So, Superman tries something else. He tries to uh, get Mixie to say his name backwards as Clark saying that he needs a doctor. Could you help me, sir? I was told to see this doctor right away, but I have something in my eye, and I can't read his name. Could you read it for me, please? Of course I can. Hmm. It says, Dr. Chilton. Uh-oh. That's my name spelled backwards. Uh, you can tell your friend Superman that I'm too smart for him. He can't trick me. <laughs> Strike two. I'll have to think of another way. Clark gives Mixie the card, and apparently Superman can figure out how to spell uh, Mixie's Pitalik's name backwards. Well, no matter how he spells it, it didn't work. So now we're going to have some fireworks, because what carnival or amusement park would be complete without fireworks? I'm waiting, Superman. Hey, where are you? All right. Mixie's Pitalik, as soon as I remove the blindfolds, look up. And tell me what you see. Here we go. I see. Get your finger and mix up. There, I made you say your name backwards. Now, back to the fifth dimension. Oh, no, not so fast, Mr. Superpoop. Are you trying to weasel out of your promise? But my name backwards is not. Get your finger and mix up. Well, that's how it reads. Uh uh, you spelled it wrong. It's supposed to read. Get a pencil, mix it. Now you said it. Oh, darn it. You, you tricked <laughs> me. But I'll be back in 90 days. And I'll be waiting for you, Mr. Mix Pickle. It's Mix Pickle. <laughs> well, that's that for now. 
Back to Jimmy. And the Superman is uh, kind of screwing around with Mixie a little bit, calling him Mixed Pickle, which might be one of the uh, more amusing mispronunciations of uh, Mixie's Pickle's name. Even more amusing is the fact that I think Superman was calling him Mr. Mixed Pickle on purpose to get Mixie's goat a little bit. So Superman flies up into the air and spells Mixie's Pickle's name backwards. But he doesn't spell it correctly. And Mixius Pitalik gets all irate, irate that his name was misspelled backwards and says what it should have read, and he's back to the fifth dimension for 90 days. Mixie is the one villain where Superman has to use his brain, and it was nice to see Superman spell the name wrong on purpose so that Mixie would get upset and say his name backwards properly. But like I said, Mixius Pitalik is a, is a character you don't want to go to the well with too often because you have to figure out games with Superman to beat him at. So it's probably a little bit harder for the writers to tackle in a convincing fashion. But, you know, throwing punches and mixing his pillow does no good because he'll just turn into a bouquet of flowers or something. <clears throat> and just frustrate Superman even more. So, the only way to beat Mixie is with the brain. Superman does that here. You know, it seemed easy. It's But this is only a six or seven minute segment. No time for complicated games or solutions. But this was a very good on-screen debut for Mr. Mixie's Pedalic. And then we get the ending. Mr. Cat, where have you been? Oh, I, I, uh, I, I didn't feel well, Jimmy. I was bothered by a mixed pickle. Clark got sick on a mixed pickle. That's how he explains his absence to Jimmy. Again with the puns. But that's pretty much it. With some solid episodes this time around. Next time, I'm going to conclude season one with the next four Superman stories. Superman meets Brainiac. Seeds of Disaster. The, malevol- the Malevolent Mummy. And the Birdmen from Lost Valley. And the, the final two Superboy segments of Season 1, A Devil of a Time, and Revolt of Robotville. And if you want to uh, send in your feedback on this episode or anything else I've discussed, feedback is always welcome. You can email me at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over at the Facebook group. Just put Man of Screen Podcast into your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. So, until next time, folks, have a good one. Take care. Bye. Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the two true freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.